to the Baseball Experience Podcast, the number one baseball podcast for exciting and passionate fan debate regarding the games, strategies, philosophies, statistics, opinions, and more. I'm your host, Cody, here with my brother, Chris, and we are bringing you today episode six. This is the first episode of our quote-unquote second season, although the way we're structuring it, we have 2020 as an entire season and we're breaking them down into sub-seasons. So this originally was scheduled to be 2020 regular season first half. Because of the coronavirus and quarantining, things have changed a little bit, so bear with us. However, the episodes are still being released as a package deal. So if you're listening now, this is the first episode of the next season subset. So we have episode six today, or episode one of 2020 regular season. And we're making some modifications. We're trying to streamline this process a little bit better, make the episodes a little bit shorter, but no less exciting. So I'm super excited for our topic today because it was something that as soon as I saw it, I knew I immediately wanted to talk about it on this show. And the main topic that we have today is offensive interference, specifically as it pertains to right-handed batters, really because they're the ones that are the primary victims. And so we're going to have that be our main discussion point today and let that lead into a discussion for maybe some proposed changes on how we can fix this terrible rule. Really, it's not a terrible rule, but the way it's been enforced has been quite awful. So Chris, do you want to introduce it for us? Yeah. So if we are going to just kind of initially start off with the, you know, kind of the, the ground rules, basically. So when the runner is going, let's say the right-handed batter going to first, he is already at a certain angle coming from the right-hander's batter's box. Unlike a lefty who has a little bit more of a straight path with his right foot finishing and falling, collapsing in that way. So really, we're going to touch on kind of the difference in angles. So for righties, of course, you want to minimize as much left-right movement as you can. So getting as straight of a path, so going at a gradual slant to the base is typically how right-handed batters are taught, but that does put them in a little bit more of a danger zone. There's no real base path when you're going from home plate to first other than the baseline as a a ground rule or a point to run off of. In the rules as well, there's going to be at the 45-foot mark, that is going to be the key point that we are going to have to be touching on because the last 45 feet whether the runner is specifically three feet, so having a foot out of the true baseline. So if he's going to have one or two feet or going to be three feet out of the baseline, then he is going to be subject to foul play. So if he's impeding the the throwing lane that basically the first baseman is giving to either the catcher or the third baseman or the pitcher. So that's going to be mainly what we're talking about here. Um, is there anything you kind of want to add as a, a little starting point as well, Cody? The only thing I would add, the example that I'm basing all of this discussion off of came from the 2019 World Series with Trey Turner busting it out of the box down to first and ended up getting called for this offensive interference. And it was something that I couldn't believe this was happening in the World Series and that there was a ruling made on this. But as far as the geometry is concerned, no, you're you're hitting it on the head where the right-handed batter starts because of his position in the box it makes this a much more likely call for righties than it does lefties to all the points you were making the only thing i would add i guess is that this is really only an issue when it is a bang bang play 
And for good reason, I guess it it just kind of naturally happens in that way. No one's going to really interfere with another player if if you have a clean throw and there's a clear difference between in the timing of when the ball gets to the bag or in the mitt versus when the runner reaches the base. In this particular case, it came from a fielder, not a catcher. So there's some different elements there that I want to touch on later. But apart from that, no. So I'll I'll hand it back to you on that. Okay. Yeah. So during that play, like you're talking about, when, when Trey Turner went, he was kind of lining up as you would say what I put as going at that slant route. He was in the baseline at that time. So the pitcher fielded his hit and threw it at a, a sidearm or a submarine fashion coming from a very low area. And the ball was curving into the base path at the time when Trey Turner was crossing the first base. I kind of slowed down the video a little bit and I looked at where he was really stepping. Was he impeding? Was he kind of trying to really make himself an object to have the throw either hit him or really keep the first baseman from not seeing the ball? Trey Turner stepped on the middle of the bag with his left foot, which is also something you're taught as a base runner to step on the inside of the bag with your, your more dominant, your left side. That way your whole body is on the bag helping you impede that first baseman or pushing him off to the corner of the toe of the bag. He didn't really go as far-fetched to the left as he could have and still drew an interference call there. So it's very interesting to see the different way umpires will take the rule as well because if the rule kind of states that if you're purposely trying to impede a throw and you are that three feet from the baseline, then the umpire does have the opportunity to call interference. But if the catcher or the fielder doesn't throw it, he doesn't have to call her interference. So if you want to make the risk of getting in the baseline and do not draw a throw, then it technically isn't interference. So teams and players have a little leeway on how they want to approach it. And even defensively, if they want to just take the chance, if they see he's making direction or move to the inside more egregiously than others, then throwing it and seeing if you will get the call for interference is a good defensive move as well. So it's good to see how uh, teams and even individuals take how an umpire basically loosely sees what he sees, but you need to be kind of hidden or or right on the cusp. That way you don't draw the call. Yeah, it's one of those things. I've just noticed this rule being enforced more than I've ever noticed before the last two seasons and it's been driving me crazy because a lot of these calls it's just like why why are we making these calls and it's one thing with the rule book yes you know the way it's written 100% it was the right call but I have to imagine that the way players are playing because you can watch Trey Turner his head's down he has a very straight line to the bag He's not zigzagging or anything, and he makes that one last push in his last step and a half to get precisely more on the inside or foul territory side of it. And so it just is so ridiculous in my mind because the rule is just not allowing for common sense here, and that reared its head at the worst possible time. An intense World Series game is not the time to have a call like this, in my opinion. It's such a petty call in so many ways, especially when there's no obvious intent for trying to cheat in that manner, causing that interference intentionally. So I take issue with it. It it really 
really bothered me. I couldn't wait to talk about this. It's hard for me to refrain from profanity here. And so it's it's something that I think the league needs to change because when they did the breakdown on MLB Network, it was like, okay, I get it. Yeah, the rule, it is what it is. He made the call in accordance with the rule and per the letter of the law, everything was done the way it was supposed to. But I don't like when we create handicaps in that this case, you know, because of a bad throw or just a less accurate throw, this call ended up being made, right? Because it was the throw took Guriel into Trey Turner a little bit, just enough. You know, it wasn't egregious where he got bowled over. It just, you know, he clipped him. But, you know, if that throw is clean, then this call never gets made, right? Even though it's bang, bang. He wasn't impeding any kind of throwing lane or anything like that. So it just really makes me angry when we're providing a stupid handicap because the defense actually did not make as clean of a play as possible. There are maybe some exceptions to that if you have a play in which there's a short ground ball in front of the plate and the catcher comes out to pick it up and field it and that lane is very close to the runner, then that's different. But at the same time, the runner can't see what's going on behind him. And if there's a natural path from home plate out of the box to the first base bag and it has this strong, strong tendency to take the players onto the grass and it's a very gradual connection to the bag, then what the hell are they supposed to do? No one is going to veer off to the right that far just to get in that lane. My understanding is like three feet either side and that's, you know, no one is running that far to the right, not even lefties. Okay, even when they're coming out of the box, they're not going that far to the right. And because you're trying to get there as fast as possible. So if you're swerving and adding extra points in between, you're eating up valuable seconds getting down the bag. And at the pro level that when it's really fractions of seconds that are the difference, you know, how many replay stills have you seen where the runner is in the air, his foot is very close to the bag and the ball just gets there. We're talking like fractions of steps, right? Milliseconds between the ball and the bag uh, and the foot all coming together. So I don't like it when there was a throw that took the first baseman into the runner and because the runner was slightly left of the line that he got called out. That's crazy. That's absolutely crazy. I don't know. I don't know what to say about it. I'm angry. I want it to change. What are your thoughts? Yeah. And it seems to be so much of a a judgment call these days too, because it's when he attempts to tag the runner, whether he's in the baseline or that base path where they make that call. So leaving it as a judgment, there's no, real indicators that kind of ground there there used to be like i said that last 45 feet that little jut out of the line where that base path that base line that the runner had to kind of follow they don't put that on a lot of fields even these days either i mean do you see it's kind of more aesthetics design wise on certain fields rather than having the full lines being made out so there are different circumstances of even having a different type of field coming into play for you as well and just to bring up one other fun point too, it was uh, after Trey Turner and the whole incident with you know interference happened, Anthony Rendon on the very next at bat hit a home run after him. And basically that hushed everything and kind of coins a phrase, the, the ball doesn't lie, ball never lies. That's always a phrase that uses when you're rewarded after maybe a bad call from a certain variable or incident happened like that. So it's always fun and rewarding seeing the game play out in different ways too.
Yeah, you know, they're really fortunate that that happened because a play like that can totally change the outcome of a game. It seems so small, right? It's one out, it's one simple play. But the more you watch baseball, you realize how much those little things really play a part in the bigger picture, especially once the game is over. You don't necessarily know how it's going to play out because there's still plenty of outs to give. It would be impossible to predict how that plays a role. But once the game is done, you can see the impacts those things have. So every out is so valuable, especially in a World Series game. Uh, let alone any other game, but you just, you can't, so therefore you can't have these kinds of calls, even they can't have the, uh, even a remote possibility of happening. It's too big of an impact. And the nationals were really lucky uh, to have that homer the next at bat. And it's unfortunate because maybe they would have tacked on an extra run. Obviously it's all gravy because they ended up coming home with the title. No big deal, but Holy cow, Dave Martinez, he, he freaking lost it. Oh my goodness. Like he could have had like a heart attack. I, I think he was having heart trouble right at the time or something. Like he could have had a heart attack. It was an actual like serious health concern. Thankfully that didn't happen, but oh my God, he was so mad. So mad. And rightfully so, because it was it was just so ridiculous. Yeah, he definitely did on that one. Yeah. It was nuts. So where do we go from here? I think for that reason, because of this call, we need to look at some changes because right now it's just not clear enough and the rule gets violated too many times naturally, day to day, every single ground ball play for a right-handed batter, you know, because it's everyone is not running in that baseline all the time. And it only matters when those plays are coming into effect where it's bang, bang, and maybe you have a narrow throwing lane and the throw brings the first baseman more into the baseline and we're putting the fault on the runner. I'm sorry, that's dumb. So Chris, what do you what do you think would be a good way to help fix this problem? I mean, it, it's hard to find a real fix for it. So there's a ways how do we make it more apparent? So of course, indicators, something to mark or show boundaries, parameters for the runners or defense. But it there's so many variables like we keep going back and forth on is really the angles, the, the sidearm throwing, how a ball tails into the runner. Just like Trey Turner's collision, that ball tailed into the baseline and then they collided. There was no disruption or interference whatsoever, but now we're discussing it because of it. I think it needs to be a little bit more clear. If we need to put a few more markers, maybe even making them different colors so it blends in better something that's just a little bit more helpful maybe if we can't see it maybe if it's more apparent to just the players on the field and then we leave it up to you know video replay seeing those those lines that are maybe just a darker green so when it zoomed in we could see how far to the left or right they went to if it was dealing with the the first baseline going through because you will have grass on either side typically then when we're in you know let's say a pickle or rundown the parameters are from immediate tag to or the attempted tag that the defenseman is making against the runner three feet from there is your baseline because you could be making let's say a banana route where you curve you're going to hit a double curving from the inner part to the outer part of first and foul territory running the second you're trying to get a straighter line to second but you're curving in different ways and different things can happen to where maybe you just thought you're getting a single and now you're going to get a double so you take a very large route but 
that makes it a little hard to gauge when we could even have interference with runners too. So I think indicators, but now that we're using technology, I think for pickles and interference in that matter, we should use it from there. Use our actual real-time cameras to measure out how far. Make it in real-time, make it replay, quick feedback right on the field, on the big screen. Almost every field has a big screen. Make it easy, accessible, include the fans, Hey, even if you want to get some voting going on, you could do that too. It's a judgment call. The rule is a judgment call. So there's no clear indicators unless we make those. So I think make it to where we're not ruining any design characteristics of the game on the field and making it just something we could subtly handle in an appropriate way, I think would be how I would put it. Okay. I completely agree with that. It's going to be hard to find a good change to impart in order to avoid this in the future. And it won't necessarily eliminate these occurrences entirely, but hopefully at the very least, it eliminates them at the most crucial moments. Probably too much to ask and expect of any kind of a rule change, because baseball has a funny way of just making these weird things happen. So one of the thoughts I came across was the idea of imparting a second bag to act as a better target for players to ensure that they are staying in foul territory appropriately for running to first. And it would be akin to the orange softball bag that they use really as like a safety precaution. If it fixes the problem, great. But man, I cannot even begin to fathom how that would look. A baseball diamond is so beautiful as is. I can't imagine an ugly orange bag. And maybe they don't have to have it orange. Two white bags is maybe fine. But to me, that would it would just be an ugly blemish on the field. I only like it up to the point for the potential that it has to possibly fix this problem. How close would the bag be to the actual you know, play bag or in play bag, if there's a foul bag versus the other, do you think there's a clear? Cause you know, if there's a distance of one foot to two feet to three feet, those angles measure time. So it would be a little bit longer. Let's say the further you, you get it out of, you know, the play or collision play. So do you think they'll kind of be a sweet spot? Should they be just right next to each other, butted up right next to each other so that it's minimal distance in the First baseman has his entire foot to play on that one, and you have the entire bag to claim on your right-handed side, let's say. Is that how you're proposing it? That's how I was picturing it, yes, that the two bags would be adjacent essentially as one giant bag, but they would be distinct. You would be able to tell them apart separately. They would just be butted up against each other. The idea of adding space in between, I hadn't even thought of that. That didn't even occur to me. That sounds even way crazier. And and then it's just even weirder for if you are suddenly deciding to make a break for second, like when do you transition from one to the other, at least when they're one giant unit, it's it's all the same, more or less, maybe with the size of the bag, maybe it's not enough. But if it if it's if it is to where a runner can look at it and aim at it better, and it just gets them out of the way at the most critical part of a play, like that last half that last 45 feet, you know, to eliminate this issue, then it's it's worth considering. Now, overall, I'm against it because of the aesthetic reasons that I mentioned. So I would actually prefer them to do something more with the dirt and the grass to make that a very clear cut issue where and just, you know, slide it in or out. Uh, it, I would think they so they would basically have to shift uh, 
well, it depends on how they want to do it. But basically, if you make the rule of, hey, you must be running inside the dirt the whole time, then it becomes a little more clear cut, I think. And if we just continue to emphasize that you have to remain within that, but so design the grass and the dirt to signal to the player where he has to be. And maybe for righties, it becomes a little bit bigger disadvantage if we slide the dirt over, you know, and when I say slide, just like where the grass is cut in relation to the dirt and the line and all that to where it's like, hey, if you like, this is it, if you are on the grass at all, even one foot, you know, one toe, one cleat, whatever, you run the risk of getting called out for interference anytime it's close like that. That would be a good resolution to it. It's at least better aesthetically, and it could be better standardized where like, okay, on the fair territory side of the line, you're allotted six inches of dirt and like the rest, whatever the that width measurement is going to be. And I'm just throwing out numbers randomly here. You know, they could do all the calculations on what is most likely and what's most important to size everything and all that. The important part is just establishing something that's clear for a runner, even with their head down, busting it to first. Okay, where do I need to be? And yeah, I don't know. That's all I can say about that. I hate it. I hate seeing it called. It's so dumb. Yeah, well, then if we're planning on putting two bags, you know, adjacent to each other, then talk about, you know, the rule proposal, of course, of, you know, changing base size. So having a larger base, how much larger will prevent how many more collisions? So I wonder maybe even testing the actual base size instead of making two or even making it rectangular, I think would be just awful. (laughs) I would, but it would be less of a safety hazard having, you know, almost a valley of two bases meeting to each other if they were butted. So that may come into play. Do we still keep it as a almost a true square or make it as a rectangle? I think even base size could play into that if you wanted to only move it up, let's say, making them, uh, you know, a few inches bigger on each side, how much more or less, you know, that would impact and data collect from that way as well. Yeah, that's interesting. I know there's been some talk about potentially changing the bases, both in size and maybe uh, structure too. A lot of that's primarily focused on the concern of the health of the players. It's something to explore. I wouldn't leave anything out. Uh, This is fairly hot button issue. And so you know, there's probably not a simple solution to it, unfortunately. Maybe there's a better way to enforce it, but I hate I hate seeing it called, especially when it it's it's like petty, but when it can also still have big effects on a game. Okay. So that's enough on that. Uh, we're coming towards the end here. I am continuing our segment in which we discuss our reasons why baseball is better than football. And so it's my turn uh, to pick up that discussion. And so today, I decided that the reason I want to go with is that substitutions are final. So in a football game, not to mention that you have two distinct halves of a team, you can make free substitutions, you know, as players get hurt and penalties and different schemes, both offensively and defensively, you know, you can put like, for instance, when it comes to the goal line, you put all the big dudes out there, right? Or different packages, you know, double up on RBs, whatever. You know, people come in and out of the game pretty fluidly. With baseball, substitutions are final. And I like that a lot more because I think it becomes a lot more strategic game because oftentimes some of the moves you make may not pan out. 
And so you can't go back on what you did. And that, to me, becomes a much more exciting element when it comes to strategy and making those decisions, especially for a manager, having to work through that and think of like, okay, this happens, I'm going to bring in so-and-so. And this, I would say, primarily accounts for pitching changes. But on occasion, you know, it equally applies to pinch hitters. And on occasion, you'll actually see some managers do this dance where, okay, a pitcher is announced, that forces the other manager to bring in the anticipated pinch hitter. And then that manager actually takes that pitcher out immediately before even getting to the mound even to substitute his next pitcher in for a better matchup. That's kind of crazy. And that's going to go away entirely with the new rule change of the three batter minimum. So that particular strategy will be out of play. But the decision that has to be made by the manager and the effects that will have on the game will still be there by and large, because you you don't know what the execution aspect is going to be, because we've seen relievers come in, they're wild, they're ineffective. And in the past, it'd be like, okay, you're done, get out of here. And now they're going to have to sit through that. And so banking on those gambles will be a much more interesting thing, I think, in some ways, some some new different ways although I didn't mind the old old way either. But for me, that's another reason why I would put uh, baseball above football is those moves have a lot more weight on the manager's mind. Yeah, and I definitely agree. I think in football, like you're seeing, you're getting a lot more specialty plays type of guys. So that guy's maybe good at his vertical as a wide receiver, being able to get an extra leg or reach. You know, So substituting on certain pass plays, running, in and out, in and out all the time. They're getting rest time here and there. In baseball, you have to craft and fine-tune someone to last like that inning, except for the exception of a pinch hitter, runner, etc., where they're they're finishing out that task at hand. But so much more quick in between who's good at what per play versus per inning, let's say. So using a lot more of a person's skill set wholeheartedly or, or full-roundedly rather than someone who's good at maybe just that pass, catch, play etc. So I definitely agree with you on that. And we continue always finding ways that baseball is better than football. The list is endless, truly. Uh, We'll see how many we can uh, definitively come up with, but I suspect we'll be able to continue this segment for quite a while. So Chris, any last thoughts on the day? Oh, not too much. Hopefully things kind of unravel as we go through coronavirus and deal with sports being delayed Hope to really connect and see if there's any feedback from our listeners, from you guys, as we have some spare time to kind of branch off, gain new thoughts, ideas. So please transfer anything over to us, email, post on our sites, etc. And thank you guys for listening. Yes. Thank you to everyone. Well, that completes today's episode, episode six. And yes, just want to echo those same sentiments. Thank you all. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you're enjoying our content. Please, we crave your feedback. We want the show to be driven by people who listen and talk about the things that you want to hear. So please visit our site, thebaseballexp.com or our Facebook page or Instagram or Twitter, wherever you want to find us. Please leave us your comments. Give us your feedback. You can always email us at chrisandcody at thebaseballexp.com. If you want to get in touch with us privately as well. And in the near future, I hope to bring some of you on board as well. So please, uh, please reach out. We're very curious what, uh, what you have to say. All right, that's all for now. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.